We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes, dedicated customer service, and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House, listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. The Yorkminster Choir with the hymn for all the saints. Now, granted, this is a great verse. It comes from Revelation 7. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's a great, memorable verse from the book of Revelation. It's going to be repeated at least four times this coming Sunday, at least four times. And if you count the references like in that great hymn that we'll be singing on All Saints Day, it's going to be more than four times. Greetings, welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Here in the first hour of the program, a special three-hour edition of Issues Etc. on this Tuesday afternoon. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor David Peterson will join us. A little bit later, Pastor Jonathan Fisk will join us for our bi-weekly series on pop culture. We need to conclude a conversation we began with him last time on technology in the church. We'll be responding to an evangelical cliche. Here's the one. There's a God-shaped hole in your heart. It has some affinity with a statement made by St. Augustine, but it's not exactly the same thing. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller will respond to that evangelical cliche there in the second hour of the program. Then in hour three, Issues Etc. Reformation Week continues on this Tuesday afternoon. We're talking about the challenges to Lutheranism past and present. We'll take up a big one rationalism. Dr. Martin Nolan has a PhD in church history from Union Theological Seminary in New York, and we'll walk through that challenge to Lutheran theology. You can join us for the next three hours. Our call in number 1-877-623-6943. Our in-studio email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. Our Twitter address, at issuesetc. The Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. Joining us to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the Historic Lectionary, Pastor David Peterson. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. It's a great verse, this passage from Revelation 7 that I read a few minutes ago here. Why is it repeated at least four times on All Saints observance this coming Sunday? Because it really defines who the saints of all saints are. Because we're talking, of course, to the saints on earth, but we're not talking, we're not observing a specific individual from the history of the church like we are at most saint days, say St. Matthew or St. John or something, but we're really celebrating uh, or talking about the saints in heaven, uh, and that is those who have come out of the Great Tribulation, out of our war with Satan on earth through death, and who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, which is to say, the people that have gone before us in the faith and are now in heaven. So that's why. So you say this is a, a, the key sentence for that reason. Let's talk a little bit about the word saint. 
Yeah, the word saint is just a Latin title or a Latin word, and it, it means a holy person. So a saint is someone who belongs to God. Now, sometimes we've heard this word, I mean, that, it means holy, and sometimes we've heard this definition that the word holy means without sin, and that's, that's really not a very good definition. Uh, what the word holy means, or saint, or sacred means, is something that has been set aside for God by God. That is something that belongs to God. So if we say the Holy Bible or Holy Communion, we aren't saying those are things without sin. We are saying these are things that God has instituted. They are His, and He has given them to us uh, for His purposes. So in the same way, when we say a person is a saint, or that a person is holy, we're not saying that that person never sinned, or even that that person is now without sin. What we are saying is, is that that person belongs to God, and God has claimed him or her and has forgiven his or her sins for the sake of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how Lutherans have approached the saints, because that's kind of the historical foil that we're going to find here, the approach to the what was called the cult of saints in medieval Roman Catholicism, as opposed to how the Reformers kept the saints but didn't keep the abuse. That's right. So we read in the Augsburg Confession that we teach our people that the saints are to be remembered so that we may strengthen our faith when we see how they experienced grace and how they were helped by faith. Moreover, it is taught that each person, according to his or her calling, should take the saints' good works as an example. For instance, his imperial majesty, in a salutary and righteous fashion, may follow the example of David in waging war against the Turk. For both hold a royal office, and so forth. So the point is, is that we remember the saints uh, because we see how they experienced grace, how they needed the forgiveness of sins, how God was present for them, kept his word to them, forgave their sins, brought them to heaven, and how they were helped in this life by faith. Then at the end of the paragraph, we get uh, having to do with whether or not we should pray to these saints. And, and we say, it cannot be demonstrated from Scripture that a person should call upon the saints or seek help from them. For there is only one single reconciler and mediator set up between God and humanity, Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 2.5. He's the only Savior, the only high priest, the mercy seat, and intercessor before God. He alone has promised to hear our prayers, according to Scripture, in all our needs and concerns. It is the highest worship to seek and call upon this same Jesus Christ with our whole heart and so forth. So maybe the saints can hear us uh, when we pray, and maybe if they hear us praying and asking for help, maybe they could pray also to the Father and to Christ for us. But there's no promise in Scripture that they can hear us, and there's no need for us to invoke them, since, of course, the highest worship is to call upon God according to his promises. So that, that's the whole point. We remember the saints because there are examples for us of grace, of how God keeps his promises, and we rejoice in them, but we don't worship them, and we don't need to pray to them. That brings us to our first reading. There isn't an Old Testament reading on this Sunday. There is the passage we were talking about in its whole context, Revelation 7. Take us into it. We read, after this, this is John speaking, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So 
the first thing we, we, we might be thinking is it's weird to have a reading from Revelation and not have an Old Testament reading. Uh, that's because, of course, Revelation itself is weird, uh, not only in its apo- uh, apocalyptic content, but also it's weird in how we're going to categorize it, because we sometimes have had this kind of idea that the New Testament is the Gospels and then the Epistles. But really, the New Testament is the Gospels, the four, first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of Jesus, and then a bunch of epistles, which are letters from, from the apostles to the church, either to a specific place or to the church in general. And then we have two books that don't classify very well because they're not letters and they're not biographies, and that's the book of Acts, which is a history book, and then this, the Revelation to St. John, which is simply a recording of what John saw and what he was told uh, in this vision. And so it doesn't really fit as an epistle. So that's why it comes first. And it's All Saints Day, so it just sort of sets it up a little bit different. Um, by the way, if there's any pastors listening, when the, when the book of Acts or Revelation is read in church, whether it's read in the place of the Old Testament or it's read as the second reading, they should be announced as the first reading or the second reading. It's just weird to say the Old Testament is from Revelation. Anyway, this bit from John, we just read the first couple verses, really tells us a lot about heaven. Uh, We learn about the fate of our loved ones who have departed with the sign of faith, and we also learn about our own destiny. So the this of after this, when John says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude, is that he had just seen the 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 from each tribe. And after seeing them, He looks and he beholds this great multitude which no person, no one can number. God, of course, can number them, and God has numbered them because each one matters to him and each one individually matters to him. He's counted every hair on their heads. But they're too great, too too overwhelming to be counted by John or by any of us. So that's the first point. There are a lot of people in heaven. No one's lost or forgotten. The church cannot And the church is not shrinking. The church only grows because we never lose any. They go before us, but they're still part of the one church. The other thing to notice here is that John recognizes, even though he can't count them, even though it's too many, he can tell by looking at them that they're from every tribe, nation, people, and language. So, on the one hand, this, of course, means there's hope for Gentiles. It's not only the 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000, which is symbolic of the fullness of each tribe, all of the elect from Israel, all of the Christians from each tribe will be in heaven, be probably a lot more than 12,000. And, uh, and then also we're going to have this great multitude no one can number from the Gentiles. So we've got that. Heaven isn't only for ethnic Jews. But it also shows us, on the other hand, that even though these people are part of this great multitude, they retain their distinctiveness. They don't all look the same. So John can tell just by looking at them who they are. He can tell where they're from. They're not faceless. They're, they're distinct in their ethnicity, and they're presumably in some, even though they're all wearing white robes, they somehow look different, uh, and they retain that. And this means at the very least, that we can expect to know our loved ones who we knew on earth in heaven, that we'll remember them, that we'll recognize them. And I think that it might even be the way that Peter, James, and John 
were able to recognize Moses and Elijah at the Transfiguration, right? Because nobody introduces them. They'd never seen Moses and Elijah. There were no photographs of Moses and Elijah. And I don't think Moses and Elijah are wearing name tags. But they know who they are. Now maybe Jesus spoke their names and it's not recorded. But I think it's also quite possible that in the perfection and the fullness of also having their bodies, because Moses and Elijah are a bit different in that regard, uh, that they are so much themselves that they can't be anyone else. So it's obvious who they are. They're not mistaken. Um, And I think that this means that when we get to heaven, you'll not only be able to recognize your mother and those people that you knew on earth, but you, you actually might be able to recognize everyone. In other words, you might be able to recognize Moses or David and so forth, because they'll, all of us will be purified and be just what we were meant to be. Uh, because the saints in heaven have shed their sins, right? And they've shed their guilt and their shame and their concupiscence. The change has made them more of themselves, not less. And that's the point. Sin actually makes us subhuman. So we sometimes say, well, to err is human. Well, not actually. (laughs) Actually, to be human as we were created in the Garden of Eden, as we were meant to be, and as we are being restored, is to be without sin. So to sin is to be less than we were meant to be, and actually to be a sinner is to be a perversion of what we were created as. In the resurrection to come, however, we will be what we were meant to be and more, because in fact... uh, Humanity has been elevated in the Incarnation and then again in the Ascension, that we call God Father and Brother, and that we don't abide in Eden, but in the new heavens and the new earth. So that means, and I think this is of great comfort, that your mother keeps the way she laughed, right? She keeps everything that was good about her, all the things that you loved about her, only more because now they're not tainted in any way by sin or by shame or by fear. So this is really an astounding thing that John sees that, that, we, that we should notice. I also think this bit about languages is important, that uh, he sees that they're from every language. And we saw this, of course, at Pentecost, that Babel's curse is not undone by reverting back to a single language. I think that's kind of what we would expect oh, well, if Babel's fixed, then we'll all speak Hebrew. But that's not what happens. Instead, at Pentecost, all languages are blessed. Now, all languages can carry the Word of God, and these languages are now even spoken in heaven and used for worship. Not in a way that confuses or divides, but actually in a way that unites them. And what unites them, even though they're worshiping in different languages, is that they are worshiping the same lamb whose praises they are singing, and they are living in this Pentecost reality, so it's understandable, it's intelligible. So it's a marvelous picture of the diversity to come and the joy of the individuality and the personality in which we were created and which we will retain in heaven. Let's take a little break here. We have much more to say about this first reading in Revelation 7 for All Saints Sunday as we look forward to Sunday morning on this Tuesday afternoon, October the 27th. Pastor David Peterson is our guest, pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana.
Do you have a student finishing up eighth grade at a Lutheran school? Do you wish there were a Lutheran high school close to where you live so your student could continue going to a Lutheran school? What if there was an opportunity for high school students in public or Lutheran school to take classes like Latin, logic, and hard-hitting theology courses? Well, there is. It's called Wittenberg Academy, the first completely online classical Lutheran high school. Visit our website, wittenbergacademy.org, to find out more. The congregation at Lake George Lutheran Chapel is a proud supporter of Issues Etc. We are located on the western shore of Lake George. With the lake in view, Jesus still teaches from the boat of his church, and the people sit, listen, and are fed by Christ himself through his holy ministry and instituted means of grace. Every Sunday, 9 a.m., set your course to 1540 West 800 North, Fremont, Indiana. Like us on Facebook at Lake George Lutheran and find out more at lakegeorgelutheran.org. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. We now have seven Spanish language transcripts of Issues Etc. that you can download for free. Ahora tenemos siete transcripciones en español de Issues Etc. que se puede descargar gratis. These broadcast transcripts cover the six chief parts of Luther's small catechism and include a teaching on why do bad things happen. Estas transcripciones cubren las seis partes principales del catequismo pequeño de Lutero e incluyen una enseñanza que se llama... ¿Por qué pasan las malas cosas? Guests include Matt Harrison, Peter Bender, and Carl Fickenscher. Los invitados incluyen Matt Harrison, Peter Bender, y Carl Fickenscher. You can download and print these Spanish transcripts for free. Just go to issuesetc.org and click Publications. Se puede descargar e imprimir estas transcripciones en español gratis. Solo vaya a issuesetc.org y haz clic en publicaciones. Stands the two of the hymn for all the saints. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues, etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning to All Saints Day this coming Sunday, according to the historical lectionary with Pastor David Peterson. He's departmental editor of Godestines, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, tell us just a little bit about Godestines. Well, Godestines is a print journal that's published four times a year. Um, it always includes sermons. Uh, that are uh, for the upcoming Sundays from the Historic Lectionary and other kind of resources for that, as well as commentary on current theological difficulties or problems or issues and uh, with a very liturgical emphasis. And there's a website uh, that also is a little more timely with sort of uh, current issues. Folks, you can find out more about Goddess Deans under the Listen On Demand page at issuesetc.org. There's more to say about this Revelation 7 passage, the first reading for this coming Sunday. You want to talk a little bit about angels as well. Yeah, we've quit reading. I only read the first couple verses. The reading continues, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. 
blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So we see these differentiated saints that are gathered before the Lamb, and the point of the Lamb, of course, is that he is the one who was sacrificed and whose blood protects us from the angel of death. So they're gathered around with palm branches because in the New Testament, these are, of course, uh, reminders of Palm Sunday and symbols of his passion. The point of the Lamb is he's the sacrifice. And they were singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So salvation is given to us as a gift. It belongs to him. We could call it holy salvation or saint salvation when we receive this, of course, by grace. Then we have the angels, the elders, and the four living creatures, also distinguished or differentiated from one another as John describes them. They're, they're three separate groups. So the visible creation of the 144,000 and then this great multitude of Gentiles uh, are united with the invisible church, the holy angels, and then these elders, which are probably the 12 patriarchs of Jacob, uh, that is, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, and maybe also then the 12 apostles with them. We see the 24 elsewhere in Revelation. And the four living creatures are these things that are seen by Ezekiel with the, uh, with the faces, and then again by John. And they're usually thought to represent the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know what they are. If they are actually Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, or if they are... Uh, creatures, created angels, uh, angelic creatures that represent them. In any case, it's like the cherubim and seraphim maybe, whatever they are, uh, they're all together, and they're distinct from the multitude and from the 144,000. Now that matters uh, because there are no degrees of bliss in heaven, but there are degrees of glory. And this is something that uh, makes some people uncomfortable, but it's very clearly taught in Holy Scripture that not everyone is the same in heaven. There, are, there is a marvelous inequality in heaven. Grace is not fair, and heaven's not going to be fair, and there are going to be rewards for good works. So works don't merit forgiveness, grace, or salvation. Works don't get you into heaven, but works are rewarded in heaven. So Melanchthon writes in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, one of our, uh, the, the important documents for Lutheranism, that to which uh, we pledge ourselves, our churches and our pastors, he writes that after justification has been bestowed by God on the Christian through grace, that, quote, afterwards, works merit other bodily and spiritual rewards because they please God through faith. There will be distinctions in the glory of the saints. And then again, he writes in that same section, all the glorified saints will be equally fulfilled when, I'm sorry, this is a quote from John Stevenson, uh, who wrote a dogmatic book on eschatology, that is, study of the last things. And Stevenson writes, all the glorified saints will be equally fulfilled when conformed to the likeness of Christ, just as a thimble or a tumbler can be equally filled with water. No creature may gainsay the Creator's right to apportion different capacities to the vessels made and restored in His image. So the, the point of this is just again to show and to recognize what John sees, the uniqueness of the saints in heaven. Nobody's going to be disappointed because he doesn't have the same exact sort of glory or the same amount of glory as someone else. 
but there, there will be this reward for works in heaven. There will be this distinctions among the saints. And that's a glorious thing. It means heaven's going to be interesting. It's not going to be boring, and we're not going to all be the same. They're also singing uh, things. Talk a little bit about what is being said by these saints that have come out of the Great Tribulation, having washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The, the multitude singing, or the angels are singing, rather, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and so forth. And I take this amen to be a response to what the saints were saying. So the saints were saying salvation belongs to God. And the angels and the elders and the four living creatures say amen. So it's antiphonal. Yes, this is the truth. You're right when you say that salvation belongs to God. So also does blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and so forth. Uh, So there is this antiphonal worship that's going on, focused on the Lamb, around the Lamb, about the Lamb. That's what they're singing about. Uh, And there is this participatory liturgical action. The the book of Revelation can really be understood as a commentary on actually Sunday morning worship, uh, a description of the liturgy and, and what we're doing in many ways. And then John gets drawn in. So the next verses uh, we read are, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. It's, it's, that's a great answer to remember when you're a student in a class. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So that's where we finally get this, this, this sentence we've been hearing up to this point in the liturgy as part of the intro and so forth. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So because of this, because they have washed their robes and been made white in the blood of the Lamb because they've been justified by Christ, then they are always before Christ. They are sheltered in his presence, they are worshiping him, and they have none of the hardships of this life on earth after the curse. They don't hunger, they don't thirst, they don't cry. They still eat and they still drink and feast and rejoice, but they don't do so because they're hungry or because they're thirsty. The Lamb's their shepherd, he's still guiding them to living water. Now, I think, of course, this is the part that I think we're the most familiar with, that he will wipe every tear from their eye. I think for the most part is what we tend to think of as heaven. And it's absolutely part of heaven. It's legit. It's there in the Bible. And it's a huge, important aspect that we will be free of the burdens and the difficulties of this life. But there is more to John's vision than that. Uh, That's not the only thing. It may not even be the main thing. So some of this other stuff and the details are worth noticing. Now, you have an insight here that I find just very deeply comforting. You say that when John looks upon this multitude, you and I are there. We're among the multitude that he is actually, he's looking at us. He, he, John has seen you. Absolutely, because it's really, because remember, John is seeing this vision. He's been, he's been transported out of Patmos and outside of time, and he's looking at this thing after the resurrection of the flesh on the last day, he's seeing the very last things. And that means that he doesn't just see the saints who went before him, his friends, Peter and James, or his brother, and, and, and so forth. 
but he also sees the saints who followed him. That means he sees Martin Luther and St. Augustine, and he sees your mother, and he sees you, because he sees all of the elect. So what is being described in Revelation chapter 7 is not about other people. I mean, I said this is about the saints in heaven, and that's right, but that includes you, that, that you really are there, uh, which I agree. It just really is astounding to think uh, that he's looking on this multitude and he sees Americans, you know, who didn't exist and English didn't exist when John sees this. He sees Egyptians and Chinese and Brazilians, and I mean, of, of every age, speaking every language, and he hears you singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb in English. I mean, he sees you, he hears you, and he marvels at the sight, and he rejoices with you. I mean, we are going to live that. We're going to look back and see him looking at us. All right. Uh, that brings us to the intro, which keeps us, at least in part, with that little verse that seems to be guiding this coming Sunday. Take us into that, if you would. It does. We have that verse as the, as the antiphon, so it's set at the beginning of the intro, and then again after the Gloria Patri. And then the intro itself is three verses out of Psalm 31. And the third verse we'll read is verse 5, Into your hand I commit my spirit, you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And I just want to comment on that verse because it's so profound, because of course that is the verse that our Lord quotes as his last word uh, on the cross. It is, it is the way that he ends his life here, and of course it has been the sentence also of many saints, uh, over the years, probably before and certainly after Jesus, that into your hand I commit my spirit. Luther sees this as not only a last word for Christians, but an ongoing word. I mean, he teaches us to, in the morning and in the evening prayer to pray, into your hands I commend myself, both body and soul and all things. So we're modeling this on Christ's own self-giving. Of course, when Christ spoke these words, he spoke them for all mankind. There's a legend that Satan stood at our Lord's left hand all during the crucifixion, waiting for him to somehow sin so that he could accuse them. And then when these words are uttered, when our Lord says, uh, I commit my spirit into your hands, then the devil hangs his head and walks away. He's defeated. Now, I don't know where the devil was standing during the crucifixion, but I do know that these words were the completion of the sacrifice. And in asking God to redeem him, when Jesus asks the Father to redeem him and to accept his spirit, he's really asking God to redeem us and to accept us for his sake. So it's, I think it's a marvelous liturgical choice, a great intro for All Saints Day, because what makes someone a saint, that is what makes a sinner holy, is, of course, Christ's commendation of himself as a ransom to the Father. And then this is also what enables us to approach the Father and also to commend ourselves, trusting that he will accept us for Christ's sake. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning on this Tuesday afternoon, October the 27th, another half hour with him. Looking forward, we'll go into the collect for this coming Sunday, the gradual, the epistle, and the gospel reading as well. And we'll talk a bit about that hymn for all the saints before our time is up with him. Then in the second hour of the program, Pastor Jonathan Fisk will kick off that series with us. We will continue talking about technology in the church. LCMS Rural and Small Town Mission exists to support and encourage congregations in rural and small town settings. 
In partnership with LCMS districts, RSTM is uniquely positioned to make a major impact in revitalization support, community engagement and outreach training, congregational partnership development, and worker support through providing and developing resources geared specifically to rural and small-town congregations. Check us out at lcms.org front slash RSTM or give us a call at our office. We're here to help. Do you long for a church that celebrates the divine service with reverence and joy, but without the unbiblical baggage imposed by a supposedly infallible hierarchy? Do you long for a church that confesses a divinely instituted office of the holy ministry for the giving of the Lord's gifts to his people and yet values and lifts high the priesthood of all believers? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We're what you've been looking for. Find an historic, authentic church near you on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org. Would you like to learn about the Reformation theology you hear on Issues Etc.? We'll send you a pamphlet of Luther's small catechism for free. It contains the biblical teachings on the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and Confession and Absolution. Order your free copy of Luther's Small Catechism today. Just send your name and mailing address to talkback at issuesetc.org. It's here, it's here, it's finally here. Lutheran Catechesis Catechist Edition a comprehensive guide to catechesis for a Lutheran congregation, including expanded helps on the catechism, a section of catechesis on the table of duties, Christian vocation, and learn-by-heart schedules for the congregation at prayer. Order yours today from the Concordia Catechetical Academy at peacesussex.org. Old theology, new technology, you're listening to Issues Etc., Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These people have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly or an annual gift of $500. The Reformer, $100 monthly or an annual gift of $1,000. And The Patron, $200 monthly or an annual gift of $2,000. Each Reformation Club member receives premiums like books, transcripts, and the I Have Issues t-shirt. You can join the Issues Etc. Reformation Club by contacting Craig. His email address, craig at issuesetc.org. Or you can call 618-223-8385, 618-223-8385, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. For all the saints, the fifth stanza. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the historic lectionary, Pastor David Peterson is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues, etc. David, take us into the collect. This is a classic, even though we don't get to use it that much. This is one that once it's prayed, it, it is forever with you. 
It is. It, it, it prays, O Almighty God, who has knit together your elect into one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Grant us grace so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living, that we may come to those unspeakable joys that you have prepared for those who unfeignedly love you. It's In the whole church here, it's probably the liturgy's clearest expression of the unity of the church, that God has knit us together, both the church militant and the church triumphant, that is, the church here on earth that's still struggling, that's still afflicted by concupiscence and her own sins, and yet has the forgiveness of sins, has been declared righteous by God, and lives by faith, and the church triumphant that is free of concupiscence and sin and is obviously uh, holy and belongs to God, that in fact God has only one church. He has knit us both together, the, the saints here and the saints there, into one communion, and we are the mystical body of Jesus Christ, as St. Paul is fond of speaking of it particularly in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. This is also a collect that gets, not in not the whole thing, but the basic idea gets borrowed for the Christian funeral rite, doesn't it? It does. And also in the um, proper preface. So the proper preface for all saints that we also sometimes use for saints' days has this idea in it, that in fact there is this glorious promise of, of, who, of what God will do for us, and uh, that we rightly, as we read from uh, Melanchthon in the Augsburg Confession, that we rightly imitate the virtuous and godly living of those who went before us. And that doesn't mean just, you know, Augustine and Luther and St. Peter. It also means your mother, you know, that you go, yes, my mother was a godly and virtuous woman. She wasn't perfect, but she did teach me to pray. She did take me to church on Sunday, and she demonstrated. And I want to imitate those, and I want to follow her in the sign of faith the way she has gone. The uh, gradual is the marriage of the verse that we've been he- hearing repeated with a verse from Psalm 84. Talk about it. That's right. So we get the extra verse, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. So Psalm, 80, Psalm 31 was a psalm of the passion of the Messiah. Psalm 84 is a psalm about the temple in Jerusalem and how God's people long to be there in his presence and how they rejoice when they are. So this is the psalm that has, I'd rather be a housekeeper and the door, uh, doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, uh, and so forth. Yet in verse 5, which we, which we have here, we get the real key, that the real key wasn't the physical building in Jerusalem, but the real key was the Lord's promised presence. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. So the Lord was their strength, uh, and he, in their hearts, he directs them to be where he promised to be. So for the sons of Korah who wrote this psalm, that is the temple sacrifices until the Messiah comes. That's where he promised to be, where they knew he was for them in mercy. That's where the mercy seat is. For us, of course, we have the temple that was built without hands, that was torn down, but raised himself up again. So for us, the promised presence of Christ is the sacrament of the altar. Until the Lord comes again, that's where we go. Uh, And until we go then with the multitude that no man can number and bask in God's risen presence in heaven, the multitude of heaven comes to us with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven. We gather around the promised, the promised presence of the risen Christ in the sacrament of the altar. So marvelous. It's a marvelous connection. What's the epistle for this coming Sunday? 
We're going to read from 1 John chapter 3, just a few verses. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so, are, so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. So the connection for the theme of the day is mainly in the sentence, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. So when God reveals to us what the saints in heaven are like, when we see, when we, when we, he reveals this to us in St. John's vision, he's revealing, as we already said, our own future to us. It's not quite as evident to our eyes just yet because we still sin. Right? So we've been declared righteous, we have faith, we have hope, and yet, of course, to some degree, we're still sinning, we're still failing, and, we, and we're also afflicted by doubt. We do not perfectly love one another, even though we are striving to keep the law. So, humanly speaking, our love of one another and our striving to keep the law is not that impressive. It's mostly hidden from us. So we're waiting for the appearance of Christ on the last day. I mean, this is the same thing in Romans chapter 8. The whole creation groans in the eager expectations of childbirth, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, what John calls here the children of God, same, same idea. The revelation to all creation that, in fact, we are what God said we were or are in baptism. We are his children. And that's going to be revealed to all of creation, and even, surprisingly, to us who already believe it. It's going to be this great thing. When he appears, we shall be like him, and then we, everyone will know, and there'll be no doubt in us anymore, that we are God's children. Let's do the Alleluia verse before we take our next break. We just get one verse from uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, so just before the gospel, we get a reminder that there's only one church, one more time. The larger part of it's before us in heaven, the church triumphant. But they're not that far away from us. They are around us. They, with the holy angels, surround us, and that's good. Uh, and we rejoice in that. But we don't look to them for help. This goes right along with the Augsburg Confession. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, even as he is the founder and perfecter of their faith. Then uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to turn to the Gospel, reading Matthew 5, the familiar words of the Beatitudes on a All Saints Day. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. We'll continue with the Gospel reading and then the hymn of the day right after this. We talk to the biggest names in religion today, liberal bishop John Shelby Spong. I don't think Jesus ever preached the Sermon on the Mount, for example. I don't believe anybody ever took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people. I don't believe that's possible to do. Liberal Bible critic Bart Ehrman. There's a difference between what the historical Jesus actually said and what the Gospels say he said. And to understand what the historical Jesus was really like, we have to get behind the Gospels. 
Muslim critic of Christianity, Reza Aslan. By definition, the resurrection is an ahistorical event, and so therefore historians have no right, no, no business uh, commenting upon it. Where else on Christian radio will you hear these guests challenged with important questions? Talk radio for the thinking Christian, issues, etc. Listen live or on demand at issuesetc.org. Christological. Creedal. Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by joining the Issues Etc. 300. Holy Trinity Lutheran, Garfield, New Jersey. Grace Lutheran, Naples, Florida. St. John's Lutheran, Chicago, Illinois. St. Paul Lutheran, Unionville, Michigan. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Beverly Hills, California. Epiphany Lutheran, Door, Michigan. The Good Shepherd Lutheran, Inglewood, California. St. John's Lutheran, Sayville, New York. Apostles Lutheran, Melrose Park, Illinois. Christ Our Savior Lutheran, Elizabeth, Colorado. Grace Lutheran, Strasburg, Illinois, and Bethel Lutheran, Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. Find out how your church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to our website, issuesetc.org, click support, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation joins the Issues Etc. 300, we'll publicize your congregation on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal, the Issues Etc. 300. Stands a six of the hymn for all the saints sung by the York Minster Choir. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Another ten minutes looking forward to Sunday morning, All Saints Day with Pastor David Peterson. Take us into the Matthew Gospel reading here for All Saints Day. Well, we get the Beatitudes out of the Sermon on the Mount, and they really they really fit well because the Beatitudes describe the church. We live on both sides of the equation. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But the church in glory, right, the church triumphant, really only lives in the second half. They're no longer poor in spirit. They no longer mourn. They're no longer meek. We are still mourning. We're still poor in spirit. We're still meek. We still hunger and thirst for righteousness. But the saints in glory are those who possess the kingdom of heaven, who are comforted, to whom the earth has been decreed, and they are satisfied. That is also true of us, don't, don't get me wrong, but it's like looking into a mirror dimly. So we live by faith, trusting in God's word, but we still contend with our sinful flesh. Then the middle part of the Beatitudes shifts to deal really with morality. So they describe not what we suffer, like mourning and meekness and so forth, but rather what we strive to be, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. Again, the other side of those equations is already true for us, but not so obvious as it is for the church triumphant, because they are receiving mercy, they are seeing God, and they are called the sons of God, but in a way that's more obvious to the eyes. 
And then the last bit of the Beatitudes gets to consequences. You can't live in this fallen world without suffering, and you will not get out of it without some injustice and persecution. You will be reviled at some point or another because of your faith in Christ. Your faith will be misunderstood, and you will be slandered because of it. Yet, yours is the kingdom of heaven, present tense, that's important there. So the saints that are seen by John are an example. They show what God does to and for his own. Rejoice and be glad, says Jesus. Faith will be rewarded, though it's a hard thing for the time being. And these days, in hindsight, will in fact be shown to have passed pretty quickly and to have been pretty easy. The hymn of the day we've been hearing selected stanzas. What are your thoughts on For All the Saints? Well, this is, of course, one of the Church's favorite hymns. The idea in the first stanza is that we bless the name of Jesus because of the gift that he has given to us in his saints who confessed him before the world. So the focus is on Christ again. The second stanza then wants to make sure we aren't looking to the saints, but we are looking to Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, because he was their rock, their fortress and their might. He was their captain. He was their light. They fought well, and they overcame the darkness and despair that threatened them, just like your mother lived a godly and virtuous life, even though she wasn't perfect, but she did by God's grace. She was, in, she was uh, strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit for that through grace. So, nonetheless, they did not do this by their own strength, but by the grace that he gave, your mother and all the saints. And then we get to the third stanza where we kind of turn towards ourselves and we, we ask that we would be, by God's grace, the Lord's soldiers, faithful, true, and bold, imitating the faith of them who have gone before us and winning by the same grace the crown that they have won. And then we break into sort of rhapsody. What a great fellowship the Lord has given us. We feebly struggle, they in glory shine, yet all are one in Christ because all belong to him and all are saved by his grace. And then we think a little bit on that feeble struggle. This is my wife's favorite stanza. And when the fight is fierce, the warfare long steals on the ear that distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again and arms are strong. So the distant triumph song is really the subject matter of all saints. We find comfort in John's vision of the Lord's promise fulfilled, and through it, God gives us the boost that we need to carry on in the face of grief, persecution, and our own guilty regrets. We belong to Christ. We have been bought and paid for with a price. The devil has lost. He cannot have us. God did not abandon our forefathers in the faith, and he won't abandon us. And that is encouraging. That does make hearts brave and uh, arms strong again. And then what's probably my favorite stanza is that the end of our lives is upon us. It won't last much longer. The golden evening is setting in the west, the sun's setting, and that means that soon to faithful warriors cometh rest. I don't know if I've ever preached a funeral sermon and not used that line. I just love it. Because they don't die. They come to rest. They come to their reward. They pass through death, and sweet is the calm of paradise the blessed. And then... It gets even better because there's more. It's not just heaven, not just a disembodied heaven full of green golf courses and trout pounds. Rather, there's a more glorious day. The last day is upon us. The saints are reunited, body and soul, in the new heavens and the new earth, and there's a great procession out of the cemeteries all around the world. And then the doxology 
from earth's wide bounds, from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl, streams in the countless host, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Marvelous, marvelous confession in this hymn of the unity of the church, of the promise of grace that comes in the forgiveness of sins that Christ has won for us, uh, and of the, the, the hope of our own future and what is coming. Now, I got a couple kind of, um, I don't know, loose end questions here. One of them has to do with uh, what the church often does for all saints. They often fold it together with the commemoration of the faithful departed. What are your thoughts? Yeah, we do that here. Uh, that's called the Totenfest, the, the sort of festival of the dead. I think it's marvelous. We read the names of the parish uh, dead or those who were ministered to by the parish and buried from the parish in the last year, and the bell is told during the prayers. Uh, I think it's a very commendable festival to remember that those that we have recently lost, again, have not been lost to us forever. They're not dead. They're resting, and we're going to see them again. A question that comes from uh, Chris, who's listening. He says he would like to wonder about some of the hymns that address the saints, like Ye Watchers and Ye Holy Ones in particular. It addresses the Virgin Mary higher than the cherubim, etc. What are your thoughts on those hymns that do address the, both the angels and the saints? Well, in some ways, of course, it's a poetic device. So I don't know that we want to make too much of it. Um, at the same time, I do believe that the saints in heaven are more aware of us than we are of them. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. It's just that they aren't that interested in themselves uh, or us talking to them. So, uh, but I mean, but, but clearly, ye watchers and ye holy ones is not a prayer to Mary. It's, it's a poetic device invoking her memory and uh, calling us to follow her example in, in praising God for what he's done for us in Christ. Well, no more than uh, God's own child, I gladly say it, would be a prayer to Satan because we do address him in one of the stanzas as well. <laughs> well, or even, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul. I mean, you know, we're not really addressing our soul. So I, I think it's the same sort of thing. Do we do, we do right to, uh, as we celebrate... All of the saints, um, it, someone might ask, well, if we're, we have this day to cover all the saints, why do we have other saint celebrations? How would you summarize that? I, I think this is more about the, commons, the, the common people that are also in heaven rather than the heroes of the faith. So this is a day that wants to rejoice in the great diversity uh, of the, and the unity of the Church and the great diversity of the Church, the individualities that have been saved, and then includes, you know, like the parish dead, the, the recently, those who have gone in the Lord recently, our own loved ones, and so forth, as opposed to, say, remembering the heroic faith of St. Thomas or, you know, the individual people. Uh, finally, then, how would you frame a theme that we ought to look forward to this coming Sunday, All Saints Day? Well, I think we want to say something about the unity of the Church and, and the glory of the promise that is ours now, the kingdom of heaven that is ours now, by promise, because Jesus Christ has died for us and won it for us. Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, thank you very much for being our guest. It's always my pleasure. 
Folks, if you appreciate our weekly series with Pastor Peterson and Dr. Carl Fikancher, looking forward to Sunday morning, please consider joining our monthly or annual giving program, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. If you join before November the 9th, Martin Luther's birthday, you'll not only receive the regular membership premiums, the I Have Issues t-shirt, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for your confessional Lutheran congregation, we will also send you a limited edition Here I Stand t-shirt. You can find out more about our monthly or annual giving program at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses or call Craig 618-223-8385, 618-223-8385, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. When we come back in Hour 2 of Issues Etc., Pastor Jonathan Fisk will take us through the series on pop culture, our second conversation with him about technology in the church. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Lord, help us ever to retain the catechism's doctrine plain. What makes a church unique? Perhaps we should ask what makes a church faithful. Calvary Lutheran Church of Elgin, Illinois, continually learns Christ's doctrine, simply explained in the small catechism. This doctrine teaches us Christ crucified who even today comes and serves his baptized children in word and sacrament to forgive, strengthen, and teach us for daily life. This, Christ's own work among us, makes and keeps Calvary Lutheran Church faithful. Visit us at clce.org. The Substitute Organist Service has been a great blessing for our worship life here at Christ the King Lutheran in Riverview, Florida. Pastor Kevin Yoakum on the Substitute Organist Service. Now our organ plays rich liturgical music every single Sunday, and it's very affordable. You pick the hymns, you pick the liturgies. It's very simple. Just know when to push play. You can find out more about the Substitute Organist Service at churchmusicsolutions.com, churchmusicsolutions.com.